Adam's Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to the Adam's Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening today. On today's episode, we are going to be doing a deep, deep dive into presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, you might be saying, why? We love this guy. And I get it. I've been singing his praises for quite some time now. Uh, I have, have had many, many times told many people about how excited I was for his candidacy. But I'm not just going to blindly follow what everybody else is doing, and I'm not just going to buy into the hype when I see some red flags. So that's what we'll be going over today, is just some of those red flags, and I'll let you make your own decision. But by the end of this, I hope to have a conclusion for you from my perspective. Okay? So this episode will be going into all of the history of Avek Ramaswamy, from his George Soros-funded time at Yale Law School to his alleged uh, mishap where he just so happened to find himself listed on the World Economic Forum website. Hmm. And then even deeper into his time in a fraternity at Yale until now. So we'll watch some of the clips. I'll tell you why I like the guy. I'll tell you why I think the guy could be a great candidate. But I'll also tell you why there's some red flags being waved in my book. Now, the only other topic that we will discuss before that is going to be that there was a 12-year-old child going to school who was told, if you've ever seen the flag, the yellow flag, I know you've seen it, with the snake on it that says, don't tread on me, right? Everybody knows that flag. Most people, like me, correlate it with the United States Marine Corps. But we'll look at the history of that because it came into question during a school district telling a child that they could not walk around school with that patch on their backpack because it was allegedly racist. Hmm. But we do have a conclusion to this and one that I'm actually proud to share in a world of so much wokeness. So stick around for that. But first, I need you to head over to the Substack, austinadams.substack.com. Sign up for the podcast companion. Then I need you to subscribe and leave a five-star review. All right, guys, I appreciate it a lot. We've been getting some great reviews recently. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's the only way that you can give back right now for all of the hard work that I'm putting into this. This is now the 84th episode, which means almost over 100 hours that we've spent here together. And... There's no way to pay me back other than just leaving a review. That's all I want. Just spread the message. Send this video. Send this out to two different people, the podcast. Subscribe on YouTube. Do whatever you can to get the message out. Uh, as you know, a lot of times on social media, I am either shadow banned or completely banned like TikTok. Uh, so there's only a few ways that I can get the message out, and that's through you guys sharing my stuff with people that you know and love. All right, so without further ado, Today's deep dive on the Adams Archive is on Vivek Ramaswamy. The Adams Archive. All right. In another win for freedom, a school has reinstated the 12 year old in Colorado who was kicked out of class for sporting the Don't Tread on Me flag, otherwise known as the Gadsden flag. 
I didn't actually know the name of that until now when this happened. I guess I should have. Uh, but I always just correlated this with the Marine Corps for some reason. I know that's a very uh, consistent flag flown for the Marines. However, learning the history of this, I'm a big fan of the history of this flag. So it actually dates back to the Revolutionary War, and it was something that was came up with, and maybe we can go into the history of this just a little bit. Um, but it has its place in history, right? It, it, it basically was a, a show of power against the British clergy to show that we will not stand idly while you strip us of our freedoms. That's the history. That's it. Revolutionary War. There's nothing other than that about it. Okay. Now, there was a teacher who took that flag and decided that it was now going to be racist and went as far as to having a parent-teacher meeting about it and then even had somebody from her district back her up. So let's go ahead and watch this video. And again, you can always see it right here with me on the YouTube. All right, so here we go. Oh, thank you. Do they know what the Gadsden flag is? That it's a historical flag. So there, um, the reason that they do not want the flag, the reason we do not want the flag displayed mm -hmm. is due to its origins with the slavery and slave trade. That is what was, um, that's the reasoning behind them. No, the Gadsden flag. The don't tread on me. Okay. Which is the Gadsden flag. Okay. Um, okay, so he, he. Um, now this kid has the best smile on his face right now. He doesn't take it off. He, I mean, he is able to go, I was actually just telling him like, I was upset that he was missing so much school. I'm like, ah, so I asked if can he just take his stuff out of his bag and go back to class? <laughs> like, I just want him to go back to class. The bag can't go back. It's got a patch on it because we can't have that in and around other kids. So that's what I was trying. And then he said you were close. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it has nothing to do with slavery. That's like the Revolutionary War patch that was okay. displayed when they were fighting the British. Like, that wasn't, that's the revolution. Maybe you're thinking of like the, um, the Confederate patch. Our Confederate flag? <laughs> okay, I, so, I am here to enforce the policy that was provided okay. by the district, okay. and definitely you have every right to not agree with it. I mean, yeah, I, yeah absolutely. Yeah, says that he's allowed to wear that. If you, like, go on their website, it's, like, says in big so, letters. I, all, I, all I'm saying is that unless there's like a ban on patches, period, like if you said there's no patches allowed at the school, you cannot display what you think or anything like that or what cheer or anything like that. Um, I, I don't. I think it's like one-sided, you know, because you allow some patches but not other, other patches. Other kids have patches like other names and like the American flag and backpacks. Yeah, that was like flown during the revolution with. Um, yeah, I, I just don't understand that at all. So what I can do is and if you, if you go onto the ACLU's website side, yeah, let's let's talk to someone. I can, I I can have you speak to I, I can have you speak to our Jeff Yoakum okay. again, okay. Um, and then he can refer you to our person at the district. Okay. Um, because, like I said, we're following district policy. Okay. Is what we're doing. Okay. So. 
The last thing I want is him out of class. Yeah, I know like, too. He, he takes his classes seriously. Yes. He studies. He does, he wants to get straight A's. He did that. He made honorable when he was here before. Yep. He intends to do that again right now, but it's hard because he keeps missing class for this. So I understand that. Yeah, and I, I mean, we teach him to always stick up for your beliefs. And I mean, you're going over the revolution this for seventh grade. I mean, the founding fathers stood up for what they believed in against unjust laws. This is unjust. 100%. Get it, mama. We're upholding a policy that was provided to us, which we have to uphold. Okay, can you show me where the policy I absolutely applaud this mother for everything that she just did there, stood her ground articulately, stated her case, said, I don't understand why you guys would ever think that this has anything to do with slavery. This is a flag that was flown against the British during the Revolutionary War. Now, what would happen if he didn't? So she did her research on this. She knew exactly what to say. And, and I applaud her even more so because she's sitting there with another child, like a baby, sitting in a car seat in front of her while making this case. Um, and so here's the update on this. All right. So they eventually uh, sent a letter to the district. So it says, meet 12-year-old Jaden, who was kicked out of class yesterday in Colorado Springs for having a Gadsden flag patch, which the school claims has origins with slavery. The school's director via email uh, said that the patch was disruptive to the classroom environment. Now, the receipts from this with the Jeff Yoakum that was uh, told in reference to this mother was about uh, dress code. Now, this actually happened yesterday. And this email back and forth from the Vanguard School District, the uh, individuals is jeff.yoakum, Y-O-U or Y-O-C-U-M at thevanguardschool.com said, Mrs. Rodriguez, as I discussed, I am providing you the rationale for determining the Gadsden flag is considered an unacceptable symbol. First case, when EEOC required the complaint to be reviewed, this was the Washington Post saying, Where don't, wearing don't tread on me insignia could be punishable racial harassment. <laughs> then posts the tied to the Confederate flag and other white supremacist groups, including patriot groups. <gasps> patriot groups. How dare you? Uh, then there's additional photos. Well, let's see if we can get the bottom of this. No. Okay. So then basically what ended up happening with this, the what they ended up citing on this was somebody who was a graphic design scholar from the conversation.com. Hmm. So it also says that rattlesnake imagery in the United States or the American Revolution was hosted and fueled by Ben Franklin's papers and interest in Massachusetts and Pennsylvania. Franklin spent the latter part of his life petitioning Congress to free South slaves, but Assistant Dean Equity doesn't know that. Hmm. Many on X were quick to side with Jaden and his mother, pointing out that the rattlesnake imagery of the Gadsden flag was inspired by Benjamin Franklin, who spent the latter part of his life petitioning Congress to free the South's slaves. The Culpeper Minutemen, who had also used the symbol, incorporated eight, 14 black and native men in black flag bearer, a greater diversity than many other regiments, according to Tony Kinnett, an investigative colonist of the Daily Signal. Uh, so, the result of this was that the district 
reached out and had a message because this spread like wildfire. And it said, yesterday the student was returned. The student returned with the patch still visible on his backpack. Following the district's direction, Vanguard administration or administrators pulled the student aside so that they could speak with his parents in the district. Upon learning that of these events to the today, the Vanguard School Board of Directors called an emergency meeting from Vanguard's founding. We have proudly supported our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the ordered liberty that all Americans have enjoyed for almost 250 years. The Vanguard School recognizes the historical significance of the Gadsden flag and its place in history. This incident is an occasion for us to reaffirm our deep commitment to a classical education in support of these American principles. At this time, the Vanguard School Board and the district have informed the student's family that he may attend school with the Gadsden flag patch visible on his, pack, uh, on his backpack. Sincerely, the Vanguard School Board of Directors. Good. Good. Finally, some decency and some, you know, reasonable conversations being happening. Now, there was actually a picture that came out of this child with his backpack standing in front of a teacher's car, which said, make America green again. So the teachers were allowed to post these things on their vehicles and drive around with them, but a student can't wear this on his backpack. Very, very interesting. So chalk it up for another win for freedom, as I said earlier, right? We've seen it with Target. We've seen it with uh, all Bud Light, we saw it with all of the things that we've seen pop up recently, all of the the music that is topping the charts, the Richmond, north of Richmond, um, all of it has, has culminated to show that there is power in numbers, there is power in speaking out. I saw this, I saw this graphic the other day that showed a, like what looked like a, a authoritarian Egyptian slave bearer with a whip, whipping a group of people. It's like a row of people. And then the next column was one person of that group standing up. And the slave bearer still, or owner still whipping that person. And then the next group of people behind that one person starts to stand up. There's a group of them now. And then the slave bearer, the slave owner whips them again. And then everybody stands up and the, the slave owner runs. And this is such a good graphic, such a good picture of what it means to go through what we all went through in the last three, four years, where we went from nobody standing up against this, nobody speaking out against it, nobody, it wasn't cool to be, you know, talking out against COVID and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't cool that we were getting banned and shadow banned and getting our accounts ripped away from us, not let into airports and, and not allowed to get a job and or keep your job, even if you had one already. We saw so many instances where nobody was standing up. There was very few of us. And that was the very precipice of when I started this podcast was because I saw that there was so few people standing up during this crazy time. While the curtains were being pulled back of authoritarianism, once we were learning what was really going on in these institutions, so little people were standing up. But now we're seeing there's a massive group standing up against these things, standing up for freedom, standing up for liberty, standing up for the rights of our children and their schools to display their support for our Constitution and what it stands for. So really happy to see this. Once again, another win. All right, so with that, let's dive into our conversation about Vivek Ramaswamy. 
Now, I have been for a very long time, months now, since he announced his candidacy almost, it seems like, been saying how interested I was in Vivek as a candidate. And there was really one thing for me, there was one thing for me about Vivek that made me really question him that has kind of made a little, it was the thread on the sweatshirt that started to unravel it for me. And again, I'm not coming to any conclusions on this yet. Uh, I, I still don't know how I feel about it fully, but I just want to show you what to me has been the red flags. And maybe you've seen some of them and maybe you haven't. And maybe because I mentioned him, you started to pay attention to him and support him. So I, I just want to be transparent here, guys. I don't know how to feel about Vivek. There's been several red flags, far more red flags than I would like to see about a candidate at this stage of the race. The biggest red flag for me of Vivek was his Obama opener at the debate stage. Now, you must be wondering, who's this skinny guy with a funny last name doing standing on a presidential debate stage? That, to me, started it all. And here it is. So first, let me just address a question that is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name, and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? The hope of a mill worker's son who dares to defy the odds. The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him, too. So first, let me just address a question that is on everybody's mind at home tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name, and what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? The hope of a mill worker's son now, who dares to defy the odds. There is the... There is the back-to-back -back between those. Sounds pretty familiar, huh? For a Republican candidate to verbatim, verbatim, rip off Barack Obama's just, this was one of the most famous statements in presidential history, right? That There's a reason that this was immediately followed up by uh, Chris Christie on stage with him, calling him out for it. it, was because everybody knows this statement. This was a statement that everybody went wild for. Who is this skinny guy with a funny last name, and what is he doing on this debate stage? I don't think anybody was asking that about Vivek. I think he was a little out of touch. And then to actually re... I don't know if this was supposed to be a quirky, funny nod to that statement. And maybe that's the case. Maybe we can we can attribute naivety or uh, comedy where malice is being attributed instead. But it doesn't seem like, like that was the case here to me. It seemed like he was legitimately using this as his opening. As on, on the biggest floor that he's had so far next to podcasts, which is crazy that, you know, there's some podcasts that are far bigger than this debate stage. Uh, but that's how you open the debate for the Republican Party. Now, I could see if he was a Democrat doing that. I could see him pulling that quote. But just to, to there, there was no the, the follow up to this was not. I bet you've heard somebody say that before, but. I'm different, and here's why. Now, Vivek Ramaswamy is more articulate than Barack Obama was, I think. 
more presidential than Barack Obama was, which says a lot. Barack Obama was a great president in the way that he presented himself and presented our nation. Now, you want to get into policies and it completely unravels, but the ability that he had to speak on a stage to massive amounts of people, the uh, intellectualism that he conveyed when he talked about certain topics was, was impressive. And you can say the same for Vivek. And what we came to find out about Barack Obama was that he wasn't as genuine as he tried to appear to be. It was all an act. And I'm afraid that maybe, just maybe, that's what Vivek is doing too. Now, I'm going to be honest with you here. <laughs> and you might, you might laugh at this. You might roll your eyes at it. But I was watching the debate, and I may or may not have had some THC enter my system here. And I totally, in that moment, being a little bit of high, watching the debates... Uh, <laughs> drinking a drinking a beer. Um, I I just felt it. Vivek felt like a a. You know what it looks like to me for Vivek Ramaswamy is that the big leagues, the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, the World Economic Forums said, "Wake the beast. We got him, guys. Call in our ace of spades." And Vivek just rises from like a cryo chamber. And the water just drains out of his plastic uh, surrounding, his, his glass that, uh, box that he's standing in. And, and he takes his first step out of the glass box into the real world to take over the next presidential race. Right? It just seems all too good. He seems too good. He's too polished. He's too clean. Everything. Everything he's saying is is right spot on with how they know the disenfranchised feel on one side. Everything that he's saying. His presentation is perfect. His teeth are white as can be. His smile is practiced to a T. It's all a little too perfect for me. It's not... It doesn't come off as authentic. And, and maybe I was just a little bit high... <laughs> Maybe that that just unraveled it for me, but it just seems a little unauthentic to me. It seems like a play. And obviously everybody on that debate stage is playing games and all of them are wearing a mask and he's just way out of everybody else's league on that stage. And guess what? Vivek, I would love to have a conversation with you and would love for you to convince me that you are not the second coming of Barack Obama drained from your cryo chamber by World Economic Forum elites to come and take over the presidential race once they take down Donald Trump and be another puppet installed into our governmental system. I would love that. Come on. Come on the show. We'll have a conversation. I'll even have a drink with you. And, and I would love to have that conversation with you. You're very articulate. I think, again, he's probably the most presidential candidate that I've ever seen, you know, next to John F. Kennedy's speech patterns. There's nobody greater in history that, I, that I've seen than the way that Vivek uh, presents himself in, in the, 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 the cannedness of his speeches, though, the the smiles on his face that are so practiced, the articulate 
ness, if that's a word, the, the, the way that he, how good, how clean, how perfect every response is, is just a little too on point for me. And there's a little bit, there's just a, maybe I just don't know the guy. And maybe he's like that all the time, but he's just so, it's so salesy and not salesy in a bad way, but a great salesman, great salesman. And those are the most dangerous because they'll talk you into anything. Trust me. <laughs> um, so that that's where this all started to me. The Obama statement just irked me. And then it was just the way that he was just da 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 da. Like he knew every single question that they were going to ask. He had the perfect response. Every part of it. He's almost like a robot. And Chris Christie alluded to that. He said, uh, "What did he say? Let me let me pull up the Chris Christie uh, response because it was just it was just so spot on." Uh, let me go to the YouTubes here and I can show you, it actually follows up, uh, and, and retorts Vivek's statement there. Uh, Christy GPT. It was just the, such a good retort. Here we go. I've had enough already tonight of a guy who sounds like ChatGPT standing up here. And the last person in one of these debates, Brett, who stood in the middle of the stage and said, what's a skinny guy with an odd last name doing up here was Barack Obama. And I'm afraid we're dealing with the same type of amateur standing on stage tonight. Who the heck is this skinny guy with a funny last name? And what the heck is he doing in the middle of this debate stage? The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him too. I've had it. I'm just telling you, there's something about him, something about him that I just can't. I can't, there's a red flag and I can't get around it. And there's other red flags too. So let's dive in to those. So here is where uh, there's there's some other influencers calling this out, right? And we'll get to those in a second. Um, but let's, let's just start from the top here, okay? Now let's vet Vivek. I like that. Let's vet Vivek. Let's see if these red flags have any merit to them. All right. So Ramaswamy was indeed nominated. This said, and this comes from dossier.today. Ramaswamy was indeed nominated and selected as a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader in 2021, which is an obvious massive red flag. However, Ramaswamy claims an alibi explaining on his social media. Funny you should bring this up because this all started with a tweet from Jack Posobiec who said, how strange. When you look at the World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders of 2021 page, today it appears the name has been scrubbed from the list. It'd be a shame if somebody had receipts of the original list, in which case Posobiec posts them. Now, Vivek retorts this and says, funny you should bring this up, Vivek says. The first chapter of my upcoming book in April has the receipts of my exchanges with the World Economic Forum years ago when they repeatedly kept trying to get me to be named. I gave them a polite hell no, reveals the games that the World Economic Forum plays. Now, let's go to this tweet and actually read said 
receipts. Uh, so there's actually the the uh, screenshots from the World Economic Forum. It says, meet the 2021 class of young global leaders. Under that, right under uh, Terence Kamal, Vasud, Vats, Ahmad, Zaki, Aditi, Avansan, is Vivek Ramaswamy. Hmm. Very interesting. And then the next day on the website, his name is gone. Now, Vivek has come out and personally said that, yes, I had to sue them for them to take me off of their website. Now, here's the better question. Why would they elect him in this way? Why would, why would that be on their website? Now, I'm not getting elected to be a World Economic Forum young global leader. I promise you that. <laughs> but Vivek is. Vivek is clearly stated on their website until he says that, you know, nobody has been working to dismantle the global World Economic Forum takeover more than me. You're right over the target. Stay on it. I'll send you a signal or signed book so you can learn more about it. It's worse than you can ever imagine. <laughs> Jack responded and said, you've sent me like five books already, my dude. <laughs> Interesting. So, what he has yet to explain is his longtime association with Soros, Inc. Now, if Vivek is associated with the World Economic Forum as a global leader, and he's been taking money from George Soros, maybe those are a couple red flags we should be paying attention to. Maybe. A GOP presidential candidate is a literal Soros fellow. Directly on the Soros website right now, it lists Vivek Ramaswamy, 2011, founder and CEO of Royvant Sciences. Vivek is the child of immigrants from India. Fellowship awarded to support work towards a Juris Doctorate in Law at Yale University. Vivek Ramaswamy is the founder and CEO of Royvant Sciences. Vivek was born in uh, Cincinnati to Indian parents. In high school, he was class valedictorian, a nationally ranked junior tennis player, and accomplished pianist. Vivek graduated from Harvard College in 2007, summa cum laude, and phi beta kappa with a major in biology. Later, he entered Yale Law School. While at Harvard, a precis of his senior thesis on the ethical questions raised by creating human-animal chimeras, hmm, was published in the Boston Globe and the New York Times. He was chairman of the Harvard Political Union and served as one of three undergraduates chosen for an advisory board for the selection of the current president of Harvard. Hmm. During his senior year, Vivek co-founded StudentBusinesses.com, a technology startup company which connected entrepreneurs with the professional resources via the internet, and he led the company to its acquisition in 2009. After Harvard College, Vivek worked for three years in life sciences investing in New York before pursuing his law degree. That's interesting. I didn't see that. Ethical questions raised by creating human-animal chimeras. That's an interesting topic, all right? I could get behind 2007 Harvard Vivek writing that. So maybe that's a, a green check mark instead of a red flag for a second. Very interesting. 
Now, another thing here, right on vivexsoros.org website says, Paul and Daisy Soros fellow Vivek Ramaswamy's Royvant Sciences develops clinical stage antibody to prevent and treat acute respiratory distress syndrome in patients with COVID-19. So Vivek profited during COVID through creating these clinical stage antibodies. Another one is pursuing the potential of abandoned pharmaceuticals. And the other one is how Vivek Ramaswamy's Royvant Sciences stays innovative. So there's the articles from Soros.com. He also showed support for George Soros in a recent, well, let's see if it's recent, a tweet from 2021, pretty recent. He said, well said, George Soros, said Vivek Ramaswamy. I consider Mr. Z the most dangerous enemy of open societies in the world. Well said, Mr. Soros. Hmm. For reasons unknown, Ramaswamy's Wikipedia page has recently updated that deleted information about his religion and his association with Soros, Inc. Now, if you don't know, Ramaswamy is a Hindu, was raised Hindu by his family, which, no surprise, he's from Indian immigrants. Um, so I'm not sure why they would remove that. Who cares? It says, writing on the Wall Street Journal in 2020, Ramaswamy unveiled his opening salvo against the World Economic Forum and BlackRock stakeholder capitalism model. However, later in the piece, he confusingly declared, I would love to have BlackRock as a shareholder if my company ever goes public, said Vivek. Now, on China, Ramaswamy is known for his recent tough talk on China. On Tucker Carlson's show, Ramaswamy said that as president, he would have America reorient all of its supply chains away from China. Okay, I can get down with that, Vivek. However, Ramaswamy was a featured speaker at a Shanghai investment conference in 2018. Moreover, he has launched companies out of China and formed partnerships with Chinese firms. In one such deal, Ramaswamy's Royvant partnered with the Civic Group, a state-owned investment company of the Chinese government, to launch an outfit called Sinovant Sciences. And here's the article to back that up, which says Vivek Ramaswamy strikes again, this time launching a Beijing-based biotech player with a pipeline. This morning, Royvent unveiled Sinovent along with Sidasepi, a Chinese private equity group. Now, this is where this gets a little important when we get to some of the videos that I'm going to show you from other people who are talking about this, um, because this is where kind of the shift of money and the, the shift of patents come from uh, a little bit later. So pay attention to that name, Sinovent. As recently as 2022 of February, February 2022, Ramaswamy's Royvent listed subsidiary companies in China, according to SEC filings, which are the subsidiaries being Cytovent Biotechnology Co. in China, Cytovent Sciences Co. in China, Cytovent Sciences Limited in Hong Kong. COVID-19 in the mRNA gene. The biotech entrepreneur has repeatedly tried to find a niche in the game or in the gene therapy business, and therefore he unsurprisingly a big proponent of mRNA shots. In January of 2022, Vivek wrote an article in the Wall Street Journal declaring that social distancing and cloth masks would work to stop viruses, but that it needed to stop so that people can avoid antigenic drift. 
He added, the most important step in fighting the COVID-19 pandemic was the distribution of vaccines. But new variants aren't emerging in the U.S., said Vivek. This was January 12th of 2022. But new variants aren't emerging in the U.S. They're emerging in places with a higher percentage of unvaccinated individuals. Those variants are the ones that have the greatest potential to drift and possibly shift away from the strain that initial vaccines were designed to. And then it goes on to the second tweet. Ramaswamy has extensive business ties to, to, to Pfizer. Extensive business ties to Pfizer. Royvent, which was founded by Ramaswamy, has partnered with the taxpayer looting pharma cartel boss on several occasions. Cytiva, another subsidiary, says download our free ebook. Learn how Pfizer, Royvent, and M. Ambiex accelerate their process development strategy. Hashtag bioprocess. Now, this is not a subsidiary. The subsidiary within that was Royvent. Um, so correct myself there. Cytiva, C-Y-T-I-V-A. Now, uh, from Reuters, in 2022, December 1st at 11.21 p.m., posted Royvant, Pfizer, team up on inflammatory disease drug. Hmm. So Vivek Ramaswamy not only said that masks work, not only said that vaccines need to be rolled out as soon as possible, paraphrasing, but also teamed up with Pfizer in several occasions with his own businesses. A brief search of his social media history found no evidence that Ramaswamy ever critiqued Pfizer. Royvent has also, which again, is not that's not evidence. If you haven't ever critiqued somebody via your Twitter, it doesn't mean it's evidence. Royvent has also sued Moderna, claiming patent infringement related to its disastrous lipid nanoparticle delivery system, which is shown to wreak havoc on the entire human body. So here's, here's the way that I would rank my presidential candidacies, right? Here is my 2023 presidential candidacy ranking and why. And I think he moves down a step here, okay? Now, I don't agree with many things, several things about Robert Kennedy Jr. But I do agree with him on his stance on COVID, on his stance on vaccines. And I do think that we are going into, which I did a whole breakdown in my last episode on pandemic season two, that we're going into another season where they're going to go after lockdowns. They're going to go after a new wave of authoritarian control. So I also think that of all the presidential candidates right now, Robert Kennedy Jr. is the most authentic. He's the most genuine. He also has a blood tie to not one, but two people who have been assassinated, allegedly, by the CIA. So there's a very good case here to say that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has real reason to go after the deep state, real reason to obliterate three-letter agencies into the wind. A real reason, a foundationally deep-seated reason to do so. Now, from what we've seen here, the evidence suggests, not the words, don't pay attention to the words, pay attention to the evidence, the actions of Vivek, which shows that he not only teams up with Pfizer, not only that he wants to push vaccines, not only that he wants to push mask mandates, but that he's also associated somehow, some way with the World Economic Forum and took money from George Soros. Those things to me are enough to 
knock him down several notches. Several, several notches. Because at this point, it's only his words. It's not his actions. And his words, you can tell this man is just gifted when it comes to speech. He's a great salesman. He's a great politician in the making. But that's the scary part, right? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has no skills whatsoever to convince you with his tonality to, to take a point and, and paint it with color beautifully so that you can agree with him. To, to, he, he loses all of that in his cadence of speech. He loses all of it within, within the way that he has his, his vocal cords are, are damaged. But Bavec, almost essentially, his entire campaign is, is surrounded by his ability to sell you, to his ability to smile, his ability to quickly and perfectly articulate exactly what you want to hear when you want to hear it. But there's a lot of red flags here. So I would say right now, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is right up there for me. Now, I know his stance on gun control. I know his stance on abortion. So those things I vehemently disagree with with him. And I'd love to see a, a breakdown of every one of his beliefs and every one of the policies. And maybe I'm, maybe, you know, I'm pretty far off in, in, in several, several of those. But to me, the president is basically a figurehead who represents the people and is a display of where we're moving. Are we moving more towards the deep state? Are we moving more towards uh, a nation of authoritarianism? Or are we moving more towards freedom and liberty? So... I would love nothing more than to see a Trump, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. ticket. Would love nothing more. That would be my ideal candidacy. And I don't know who I would put in which position. Uh, but because you can clearly see that the deep state, that the, the individuals in power are, are obviously trying to put Trump in jail over and over and over and over again. There's been a concerted effort by big, big money to get him out. And we can also see clearly the same thing is happening with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. besides the indictments. But nothing is happening with Vivek. In fact, he's finding himself on all of the biggest shows, constantly being put on the BlackRock-funded Fox News and CNNs, constantly being pushed in the public narrative, having the biggest clips from the debate stage, constantly. So let's, let's keep going here. It says, Ramaswamy is estimated to have a net worth of an impressive $500 million, though it's unclear how he accumulated these funds or if that number, which is a bit outdated, currently stands. Perhaps it's from a series of business ventures through which he successfully cashed out. But the trail left behind leaves a lot to be desired. Cyogene Therapies, a company founded by Ramaswamy, recently announced plans to dissolve after years of failing to advance any successful drug candidates. Once valued at billions of dollars, Sayo currently has a market cap of around $30 million, as it recently failed to find a buyer for the troubled corporation. Just so you know, this stock in 2018 plummeted from $200 a share. And then the same day, it was at $200, it dropped down below 50 And then over the next three to four months or so, and over the next year, moved down to less than a dollar. It's currently sitting at 40 cents. Crazy. Royvan Sciences, founded by Ramaswamy, he was also the CEO until 2021, but remained on the board, lost almost a billion dollars last year and has lost 
on average $650 million each year since 2019. According to the company's financial statements in 2018, the company has described as akin to a bloodbath after its prized Alzheimer drug, which formed the basis for the creation of Royvant, failed clinical trials. Over the last quarter, Royvant brought in only $12 million in revenue and had a net income of negative $291 million. Ramaswamy stepped down from the board of Royvant after announcing his presidential run, according to a company statement. Crazy. How do you lead a company that loses almost $300 million and then somehow make $500 million? The, the business world, once you get to that level, is just pretty crazy. Ramaswamy's latest adventure is Strive Asset Management, which he founded in 2022 with the mission to combat the ESG agenda in corporate America. Strive has set up a series of passively managed ETFs through which Strive takes an above-average fee in order to purchase stock in pro-ESG woke companies, hmm. promising to use customers' proxy voices to convince these corporations to depart from that agenda. Since its founding, Strive has published four letters to select companies asking them to change course. Hmm. So, Ramaswamy's latest venture is Strive Management. So he founded a wealth management company, Strive, in a in a hope to voice with people's funds the that we don't want them to be a part of the ESG and woke agendas. Cool. I like that. That's a very smart play, Vivek, especially if you're going to run for office. But essentially, he took in all of this money, right? Looks like many millions of dollars, and they held stock in all of these woke companies. <laughs> what is that? Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Tesla, NVIDIA, Alphabet, Inc., or Google, again, um, United Healthcare, Exxon, Johnson & Johnson. Wow. Critics of Ramaswamy have pointed out that Strive is effectively damaging its own mission right off the bat by first purchasing shares and proceeding to add value to these companies. Yeah. And later hoping to convince them by proxy letter or vote to change their behaviors. So what's the real agenda, this says? It seems Vivek Ramaswamy knows full well that he will not actually be a serious contender for president. He has already spoken about wanting to merely be able to make the debate stage. His campaign website does not discuss his platform in any detail at all. It only shares clips of his media appearances, and it is largely nothing more than a donation page. What is Vivek actually running for? First, maybe we can get some more clarity about who this man is and what he believes. So, there's your breakdown, right? We'll watch some videos here. We'll get some other conversations going. But there's the overall breakdown of Vivek. Pharma funded by BlackRock's and Vanguard's, World Economic Forum global leader, George Soros funded law degree. That is Vivek. That is his background. Those are the, those are his actions that, to me, speak louder than his silver tongue. Now, there's other people raising the flag about this. One of them being Matt Kim. Now, if you don't know Matt Kim, he's got a podcast. He's also a, a pr prominent figure on social media. And he posted this video that I will show you uh, where he raised similar red flags. So let's pay attention to it because he allegedly got some messages from Vivek's people about his post. So here it is. 
when he's supported by let's restart it for you some of you won't like this but hear me out he seems to be everywhere clips of him giving it to the man and calling out the establishment all over social media skyrockets from unknown to top of the republican polls and i understand why he says what we all want to hear end the war secure the border drain the swamp unity freedom truth which outlets are considered untrustworthy propaganda media msnbc business insider ap forbes the new york times the new yorker huffington post axios political just to name a few the mouthpiece of the establishment then why are they all so supportive of vivek hmm. doesn't make sense how is he considered anti-establishment when he's supported by the establishment? If you or I were to say some of the anti-woke things he says, we would be shadow banned. But somehow, he's trending on every single major social media platform. Hmm. Prior to politics, he was a hedge fund manager. His claim to fame was a pharmaceutical startup company called Royvent. In the nine years it's been in business, it has never been profitable or delivered a working product. Now that is where the only part of this that he was corrected with. So we'll look at that statement that he apologizes um, quite sarcastically, rightfully, uh, about this. So let's watch it. Although let's Royvent continue. continues to fail their clinical trials, they were able to find investors and raise money making Vivek an extremely wealthy entrepreneur. Good at convincing people to invest, poor at delivering product, and execution. Not a good sign. So what about the money? The media highlights that Vivek has invested over $10 million of his own money to fund his campaign, an honorable feat. Vivek announced his run for presidency in February 2023. How long do you think it takes to make that decision and execute a plan? Six, eight months? July 2022. The value of Royvent stock is just over $3 per share. On February 21st, 2023, Vivek announces his run for presidency, and on February 22, he sells 4 million shares for approximately $32, $32 million, million at nearly $8 per share, well over $15 million in profit in six months prior to him announcing presidency. Good for him, right? Make that money. Company is losing over $1 billion per year, but he got paid. Smart guy. But anytime things are just so coincidental, I'm forced to keep digging. Why did the stock price of an unprofitable, failing company rise over 100%? How does it go from an all-time low to nearly its all-time high? Institutional money. You remember when Vivek said the financial investment giants like BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard represent arguably the most powerful cartel in human history? Well, guess who's on the list of institutional investment giants that started giving his company money one year ago? You want to guess? BlackRock, State Street, and Vanguard. All three have added to their positions in the last quarter, and Roviant, which Vivek still owns 7% share in, is now up over 300% in the last year, mm. making it worth close to $1 billion. During the Republican primary debate, Vivek vowed to end the teachers' union, Guess who is also on this list of investors? California State Teachers Retirement System. Hmm. Look, his intentions may be pure, and this is all a coincidence. Maybe there's a great explanation. However, 
I am not a financial analyst nor investigative reporter, but I was able to find all this out in a couple hours of sifting through publicly available data. Why is his connection to George Soros via scholarship and his involvement in the Ohio COVID-19 response team scrubbed from Wikipedia? Mm. In 2021, he was named a young global leader by the World Economic Forum. Two years later, after using that title to raise investments for his company, he sued the WEF to remove his name from the list. Three months after that, he was able to settle with Klaus Schwab's WEF and receive a formal letter of apology. How do you sue what many may consider evil the World Economic Forum and win and get an apology letter in three months? He's either that good or I don't know. Any real journalist or news outlet could have easily found out all this info, but they didn't. Real question is, why? Hmm. So, there's the first video, right? That's one of the main reasons. Almost all of that is so suspect. Every single part of this journey for Vivek, everything but his words... If you didn't watch a single debate, if you didn't watch a single video of Vivek, and you only looked at his actions, it paints a completely different story. If I told you there was a presidential candidate for the Republican Party who was funded by George Soros, who is a World Economic Forum global leader, who went to Harvard Law School, founded a pharmaceutical company which helped with COVID responses— and was funded by BlackRock and Vanguard. Would you vote for that person? Would that person be your number one pick? And again, I just want to drive this point home for you. If you looked at nothing Vivek said, if you watched none of his videos, none of the debates, and you only saw that he was a World Economic Forum global leader up until the time that he decided to run, he was funded with all of his companies by BlackRock and Vanguard. He made his money in pharmaceutical companies during COVID. Is that the guy that you want running this country? Because I don't. That's not what I want. That's not who I want running the country. You know who I want running the country? The guy who says that you shouldn't get the vaccine. The guy who says that... All of these institutions are corrupt and wants to obliterate the CIA and actually will do it if he finds office. You know why? Because two of his family members were assassinated by them. Or maybe the guy who's sitting and just got his mugshot taken three days ago from actually fighting the system, not just saying words on the debate stage and, you know, Looking at looking at you at the audience and nodding his head, and then as soon as BlackRock, Vanguard, and World Economic Forum look at him, they go, and then you look at him, right? Is that meme? But that that's what you have to look at. What are the actions of the individual, not just the words? Because the words literally mean nothing on the debate stage. Here's the second video. Here's the second video about Vivek. I promise. I need to move on to other pending social coincidences. I was wrong, and I'll admit it. I said Vivek's company, Royvent, had no successful product, but I was mistaken, kind of. Royvent had a subsidiary called Myovent, 
that developed drugs with Pfizer. Myovint is no longer a part of Royvent's products because it was sold to Sumitovint, which Royvent also owned, which is sold to Sumitomo Pharma, Japan, where the executives of Sumitovint hold board seats. Two successful drugs are Orgovix, which is FDA-approved to treat advanced prostate cancer, and Mifembri, which is FDA-approved to treat endometriosis, severe period pain. What do the drugs actually do? Morgovix is a drug designed to lower your testosterone, and Mifembri is the same drug but with estrogen mixed in. So I apologize to Vivek's campaign team. I was wrong. But please understand that since the drugs were within subsidiaries of subsidiaries, it was not easy to find. So I will formally correct myself. Vivek has successfully manufactured with Pfizer an estrogen-filled testosterone suppressor. Hope that clears the air. <laughs> what a great way to respond to that, because I'm, I believe he said that uh, he was asked uh, for this correction by Vivek's team. Uh, so masterfully done. Uh, just so you know, um, Matt Kim's Instagram account is mattattack009, and he does some great work. Uh, very uh, concise and uh, very uh, un, un um, what's the word? Unexplosive, unostentatious, unostentatious. <laughs> I had a lot of color to our show, folks. Um, so just like you heard him talking there, I guess, is how he talks most of the time in almost every video. So there's very little color in his voice, but he does it very well and very tactfully, very dry, uh, just like he did there. So great stuff, Matt. You're doing a great job. Um, so found that to be interesting, right? So here's uh, some other clips. Now, I actually just have his Twitter account pulled up here because I think you know, one thing we can do is just scroll the, the times of uh, Vivek's most recent posts here. Uh, but let's, let's go century. to some let's go to some more uh, organized stuff here. So here is Vivek Ramaswamy. Now, you might ask, what what website is this, Austin? What website am I looking at with Vivek's name on it? Well, I'm glad you asked that website is right here, which says Paul and Daisy's Soros Fellowships for New Americans. Hmm. So Vivek Ramaswamy was funded by the Soros family to attend Yale to get his Juris Doctorate just 10 years ago. So he was, what, 27 at the time. Now... That's an interesting choice to move from biology to law and then not use your law degree at all. But he was a Forbes 30 under 30 honoree, founder of Royvant Sciences. And we looked at that already, but I just think it's interesting to, to find his name right next to the Soros name. Now, the next thing we have here is... Not going to go into that. Um, is that Vivek Ramaswamy paid Wikipedia editors to erase his Soros fellowship and his work on COVID? Now, this came from May of 2023. It's now August, June, July, August, three months. 
Now, it says he announced his 2024 presidential bid after making sure his Wikipedia page was edited. Vivek Ramaswamy, this comes from NewRepublic.com, never heard of it, uh, is like much of the Republican Party, so pathetically desperate, this says. Ooh. The 2024 candidate who joins other elite educated Republicans in cosplaying as a truth-telling populist while offering no actual solutions to improve people's material conditions has reportedly used some of his millions of dollars to pay a Wikipedia editor to scrub his past. Mediate reports that Ramaswamy seems to have paid Wikipedia editor Yofferman to remove information from his page that he presumably thought would damage his candidacy in the Republican Party. A few days later, he announced his 2024 bid. The editor scrubbed off information related to Ramaswamy receiving Paul and Daisy Soros Fellowship from New Americans in 2011 during his time as a Yale Law student. Paul Soros is the older brother of billionaire Democratic donor George Soros, who has been the subject of perennial anti-Semitic conspiracy theories peddled by the right. The fellowship Ramaswamy received is dedicated to helping immigrants and children of immigrants pursue graduate degrees. Prominent right-wing figures like Jack Posobiec have directed attention toward Ramaswamy's past fellowship, presumably in line with the aforementioned use of Soros as a catch-all for anything suspicious. Also removed from Ramaswamy's page was his work serving in the Ohio's COVID-19 response team. The editor claimed that Ramaswamy had explicitly asked to remove the mention of his work on the COVID team, while the editor himself deemed the fellowship to be extraneous material. After some back and forth with other Wikipedia contributors, information noting Ramaswamy's Soros Fellowship was later added back to the page. Ramaswamy announced his bid for presidency less than two weeks after he seemingly commissioned an editor to modify his Wikipedia page. So let's repeat that because that is worth it. Ramaswamy announced his, pre his bid for presidency just two weeks after he paid an editor to modify his Wikipedia page. To this day, Ramaswamy's Wikipedia page begins with a disclaimer that the article has multiple issues and the neutrality of this article is disputed. This article contains paid contributions and may require cleanup to comply with Wikipedia's content policies, particularly neutral point of view, Wikipedia warns. The episode is just another in a long series of Republicans spinelessly refusingly to stand by their past when facing Donald Trump or to offer even a nugget of an argument as to why, hey, maybe it's okay to care about problems like COVID. So this is a left-wing company calling this out. Most remarkably is that any of the Republicans think their hungry embrace of conservatism's furthest right instincts will result in anything other than failure. All right, so so I would say too, I'm actually quite, I'm actually quite uh, proud of our party. I'm, you know, and, and I say our party. I don't generally, traditionally identify as strict conservative. I'm far more, I would say, libertarian than I am conservative in many aspects. I believe our government should be basically utilized for a military to protect our borders and protect us against foreign enemies, not to, you know, go to war with other countries and start proxy wars for billions of dollars. I also believe that we should have a police force which is used to uh, enact law and order um, under very limited circumstances, uh, basically off of the golden rule, which is like, if hey, if you don't want that to happen to you, maybe you shouldn't do it to other people. And if you do it to other people, maybe there should be consequences. If we all agree that this thing shouldn't happen, uh, maybe some, some, actually, no, I wouldn't even say education systems. I think education systems in the modern day would do fairly well if it was a, a more capitalistic, uh, free 
um, free market, uh, there's very limited use cases for the government. Um, very limited use cases. And it's literally just a pile of money for them to uh, to extort you out of with the threat of violence and captivity in order for them to be able to find how much money and to move out of that pile into their own pockets through these little games of money laundering. That's about 86% of government spending to me. Right, you want to talk about um, social services. I think there should be some social services to be able to help people who are uh, mentally disabled, who are physically disabled, who uh, really need the help. Um, I, I don't see much other uses for the government other than those things. So traditionally, probably not as Republican as many people who uh, listen or who uh, follow me or, you know, but that's where I'm at. That's what I think. I, I don't think the government's great at literally almost anything. I think the government's quite bad at almost everything. Um, I'll, I'll give you a story. Uh, when I was in the military, uh, I was at uh, Biloxi, uh, Mississippi. Uh, I was going to tech school for air traffic control training. And uh, I was in the military from 18 to 22. And when I was at air traffic control tech school in Biloxi, Mississippi, we had a bowling alley. And at this bowling alley, we would go there, you know, we had friends who would drink there and they'd get big pitchers of beer. And, um, and it was like the shittiest bowling alley you had ever been to. And about maybe four months into my tech school, I was, I was at, at Keesler Air Force Base for eight or nine months, um, doing air traffic school and maybe eight or nine months, three months after we got there, four months after we got there, the bowling alley closed down. The government had a monopoly on entertainment on base and could not run a business properly in order to be profitable enough, even with tax funding. <laughs> it's like the most ridiculous circus show of a business being ran ever. Uh, it's unbelievably bad at literally everything it does ever. Right, the government is just horrific at every endeavor it sets out to do. There's so much red tape. There's so much bureaucracy. All the technology is super old. There's no innovation. There's there's nothing happening from the traditional taxation based government services that is positive for the for the people. Like maybe you can say firefighters, police. In very limited cases, I think I, I legitimately don't think there should be any traffic enforcement. Um, there's very few use cases besides violence and uh, mostly violence. Like there, there's just there's so many things that are off about you know the government having its own uh, imperialist army. So those are some of my beliefs on that. But but. So, so that's when you hear me talk about Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I'm not like, I, I am not a hard right or a hard left. I'm like somewhere in the middle with mostly a belief that our government sucks at everything it does. And the less that we can have the government do and the more that we can have the free market do, the better off we will all be. And when I say free market, it's not like the modern day free market that we have right now, because what we have right now is a a monopolistic oligarchy of of capitalistic institutions who own everything, right? We talk about the Black Rocks and the Vanguards. I, 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 We don't live in a capitalist society anymore. Capitalism is dead. We live in an oligarchy. 
every institution that you know is owned by a single one, two, maybe three investment wealth companies. Every politician you know is owned by one, two, three of those same wealth management companies. Every politician you know, every company that you know is owned by BlackRock and Vanguard. We do not live in a capitalistic society. We live in a oligarchy. A We live in a... Uh, a um, a, a monopolistic-based oligarchy where all of the politicians are bought and paid for, where all of the companies are bought and paid for, and they enact the policies through the politicians that they fund through the corporations. It's this big shit show mess, and we're just the ones at the bottom of it getting shit on, right? This is just how this whole thing plays out to me. Our, our, our entire system is just flawed to its very core, as of maybe the last 80 to 100 years, 80 to 100 years, the Industrial Revolution, World War II, was all the, the shifting of power to these elite class, uh, the, the Bilderberg Group, the World Economic Forums, the, the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, right? You guys, if you've been listening to me long enough, you know my beliefs on these things. You hear me talk about one-off topics, but you don't really hear me talk about the systemic governmental issues that I really, you know, what I truly believe about our government. Mostly just that they suck at everything. It's a proxy for politicians and corporations to siphon off government or to siphon off tax dollars, right? Taxes weren't even implemented until like 1913, right? Something like that, like 110 years uh, when, when federal income tax was, was started and federal income tax was started basically just to fund, uh, you know, it was like 2%, they, they were going to, they were going to charge, uh, people who were extremely wealthy, like two to 3% of their income just to fund some certain small services, right? Like we left Great Britain because they were taxing us on fucking tea, right? We were throwing barrels, right? The, the sons of Liberty, and John Adams and or uh, Sam Adams and, and the Sons of Liberty were th just going off, having secret meetings and cool bars or pubs like the the Green Dragon, and they were having these underground meetings with, um, you know, the Freemasons and like how are they gonna, you know, there was all this crazy shit happening and a lot of it, the, all of the fed up thoughts about the the British clergy were based on the 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 people not wanting the government to take their money from them. Don't maybe we should have you for a couple things. And maybe it's don't invade my country. Don't, don't, uh, kill me. Don't take my shit from my house. Right? Like these, these are the things that the government should truly be focused on, but instead they're writing you traffic tickets via autonomous cameras for profit. And they're, telling you that you have to get a mRNA gene therapy in order to get a job. Like we're so far off and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse unless we, we start to win this, this culture war even more than we are today. So anyways, long tangent. Next thing this says here is, um, <laughs> uh, most remarkable, uh, is uh, okay, so yeah, that's a stupid article coming from a left wing, but not wrong in like the first half of this. Um, so originally, I looked up this article uh, about who are the famous alumni of Yale's uh, Phi Beta Kappa. Phi Beta Kappa being the 
the um, the fraternity that Vivek was a part of. And um, I was looking at Yale and uh, I, I was looking wrongfully at Yale. So he was a part of Phi Beta Kappa at Harvard. So let's see if we can get the celebrity names of people who were a part of Phi Beta Kappa at Harvard because I misread that. Uh, and let's see. Harvard alumni. It's so crazy to me that people like go to Harvard, right? Like that there's just like this, this completely, this university that's just like completely made up of elite families who just put a hyper emphasis on their children for academics, who fund it with $120,000 or whatever the fuck it is to get your kid to go to Harvard. And then, you know, all the scandals with like telling your, saying your kid was a bad gammon defenseman. <laughs> in order to get them into the university, right? If you ever saw that documentary, I forget the name of it, but it was about the scandal at uh, all of the elite universities where um, it might have been a singular one where they were like basically saying that these kids were uh, in sports that they weren't because they were paying off the the admissions individual to get them in uh, to the university on scholarship and stuff, like pretty crazy stuff. Um, so let's see if we can find the Phi Beta Kappa Harvard alumni go directly to the website harvard.edu five the kappa of massachusetts at harvard is established under a charter dated december 4th 19 or 17 sorry 1779 wow the charter was granted along with one for yale by the original society founded three years earlier the college of william and mary in virginia the charter was brought from there to harvard by alicia parmelli who initiated four juniors of the day before commencement in, 19, in 17, wow, 19, uh, 1781. The first meeting of the new chapter was held on September 8th of 1781. That makes Harvard's chapter the oldest in continuous existence. Interesting. Let's see, members, literary exercises, eligibility, and election. Members. Let's see if we can get some famous members. Class of 2020, class of 2024. Let's just read the names of these people. Samar Bajaj, Suhas Bhatt, Sarah Bashari, Alexander Chen, Sharahari Ganesh, Jay Garg, Amon Gashaw, Kaylee Hashanekt, Hari Iyer, James Jolin, Jai Karana, Madeline Kitch, Jeffrey Kwan, Clarence Nababusidi, Will Nichols, <laughs> that's the only white guy. Uh, Mitchell Park, uh, Joel Sabando, Atlas Sonogo, Trey Sullivan, Lucy Two, Eleanor Wickstrom, Dora Woodruff, Vicky Yu, and Eric Zhu. No white people, maybe one. <laughs> Let's look at previous years. Uh, 1980s, 1990s. Let's look. What year did he graduate? I think he said 2007 he was a graduate. So let's look at 2007 and see who he was a part of this with. Maybe there's any names that pop out to us here. So we see, see if we can even find Vivek. Bally, Aaron, Vadim, Alinsky. I'll save you the names here. Let's see if we can find anybody that sticks out to us that he was a part of this with 
Mary, Brad, Eric, Brian, lots of more white people back in 2007. I don't exactly see Vivek, but there's so many people on this list. Let's see, is this, uh, okay, it's alphabetical. So Ramaswamy, there he is, okay. Vivek Ramaswamy, 2007. It's a pretty long list, so I'm not sure I know any more of these people just by looking at it without doing research. Peter B. Zuckerman. Interesting. Maybe that's a good deep dive we could do is like, who did he actually go to these? Who is he here with? Um, but anyways, I digress. Um, maybe we can look at the 1980s, but that would be the thing, right? Like maybe look back at like, who are the alumni at this? Because the other one, when I was looking at Yale's, it was like, here are the famous ones that you will actually know. <laughs> and they said George H.W. Bush. Uh, so I thought that was interesting until I found out it was the wrong college. So speaking of like when Matt Kim made a correction, let, let me make my correction here. Um, my correction is I was wrong. In the last episode, I talked about how there was a flood at the Dodger Stadium. And I said that, you know, oh, how ironic it is that there was this flood, you know, just months after there was the, uh, you know, the satanic ritualistic pride parade bullshit that was put on at the arena just months prior. And apparently there, there was all these videos and, and pictures that circulated and apparently it's an optical illusion. Um, apparently the, the way that the, even just in that video I showed you of the helicopter flying over, it, it clearly looks like it was flooded clearly it's, but apparently it wasn't apparently there was, uh, just an optical illusion where the way that the, uh, the parking lot was shaped around, it wasn't flooded. It wasn't flooded. So I was wrong. I'll admit it. Uh, there was no flood. And Dodger Stadium is still standing, unfortunately, um, even after a hurricane. Um, so there's my correction. Take it or leave it. Um, anyways, moving on. Vivek Ramaswamy on the debate stage had many, many clips that were pulled from uh, some of his stuff. Now, I even posted some of them. Um, again, until I really started to dive into his history and look through the red flags that I'm talking about here, uh, I don't know, pretty crazy. Uh, just so uh last thing we'll talk about is this clip here and that's it nope that's the that's the chris christie uh clip of him calling him chat gpt which was like this the just the perfect response <laughs> to vivek that is almost exactly what he seems he seems like if the future was to send a robot uh you know if blackrock was to create an ai like Oh, we hate the establishment. Oh, yuck, BlackRock. You hate them too? Oh, those elites, they're nasty. You don't want them. Uh, if if BlackRock was to formulate the perfect robot to come in here and try to win over the people's vote, you know, because they think you're so stupid that you won't actually look into the history of this man, Vivek would be that guy. Now, again, I'll, I'll preface this with maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Vivek isn't a 
World Economic Forum global leader, George Soros-funded Yale graduate who took money from BlackRock and Vanguard to start a company with, you know, to come out with products with Pfizer during COVID. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe he's just a nice guy who found himself funded by BlackRock and Vanguard accidentally and found him accidentally on the World Economic Forum website and just so happened to take money from George Soros and also, uh, you know, uh, decided that he was going to run for president. Maybe I'm wrong. But maybe I'm right. And maybe you should pay attention to these red flags. And maybe... Maybe, just maybe, this guy isn't the guy that you want to spend your vote on during the primaries. But I'll leave that up to you. I'm just giving you the information. Personally, I think I'm a little bit more convinced that Vivek Vivek Ramaswamy is a snake. I don't know. But I'm a little bit more convinced now than I was before. After hearing about his financial situation, after hearing about his investors being BlackRock and Vanguard, after hearing about all of this... It seems to me like he might be a snake in the grass. So keep your eyes peeled, people. And in the meantime, subscribe, leave a five-star review. This is the last time I'll ask you. You've been here with me for an hour and 20 minutes now. So the least you can do when you leave this podcast and go listen to the last one, if you haven't listened to the last one, or go listen to the first one. Go all the way back, all the way back in the podcast uh, archive here and go to the very first episode where we do assassinations, cover-ups, and the cult of science, where I go up and I actually break down this book behind me right here. Uh, It's called Code Blue by Mike McGee, where it goes into the, uh, the medical industrial complex. And uh, we talk about um, the uh, untimely death of the creator of the mRNA technology, or I'm sorry, not the mRNA technology, um, the PCR testing, Kerry Mullis, and his death just months prior to COVID, which is super weird. Uh, So go back, see how, you know, see how I broke that down for you. I read some excerpts from the book. Uh, It's the very, very first podcast I ever did. Um, so tell me how good or how bad it is in your five-star review. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. I love you. I hope you have a great week. I will talk to you next time on the Adams Archive. Thank you.